Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. The economy is obviously not where it was at one time, and most of us aren't buying as much as we did maybe a couple of years ago, and so are you blessed? Are you really blessed? You're not buying as much. Exactly what is blessing? We need to look at that, that today, and we're going to consider something called eternal or eternal perspective. And, and how that changes the way we think. Eternal perspective will change the way you think. It changes your worldview. And I really do wish there were jobs out there for everybody, but I see some good things happening in this very recessed economy. I see people using coupons. I see people looking for sales. I see people buying less and practicing good stewardship. So what's happening is people are becoming better stewards of God's gifts. They're staying home more. More family meals together, more family bonding, and some neat stuff seriously has happened because of this so-called recession. And maybe people are discovering all blessings aren't material. You know, God works through all this, this difficult stuff. He really does. We've got to see it. And that's what Jesus talks about today. Now, we need to understand the background of these beatitudes that I read or these blessings, see? need to understand that. And to do that, we've got to look at the book of Job. And I'm looking at Job, Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, verse 1, in the land of Oz, there lived a man whose name was Job. <laughs> and this man was blameless and upright. He feared God, shunned evil. He had seven sons, three daughters, and he owned... Now, now here it comes. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yokes of oxen, 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants, and he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. And so Job was very wealthy, and some would say he is very blessed. And then Satan says, leave me at him. And God lets Satan at him, and you all know that story, see? So God allows Satan to take everything but his life. Now, three friends, probably lifelong friends, come to sympathize with and comfort Job. And this is Job chapter 2, verse 11. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, heard about all the troubles that came upon Job, they set out from their homes and they met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. And so they're going to go sympathize with Job and comfort him. And verse 12 says of chapter 2, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him, and they began to weep aloud. And they tore their robes, and they sprinkled dust on their heads, and then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, and no one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was, and I think they should have remained silent like that, because you get to chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, and his first friend Eliphaz speaks. Now, this is the comfort they give. If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient, Job? But who can keep from speaking? Think how you instructed many, and how you instruct, and how you strengthen feeble hands. Your word has supported your word has your words have supported those who stumbled. You strengthen faltering knees, but now trouble comes to you, and you're discouraged. It strikes you, and you're dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence, and your blameless ways be your hope? That was that that was, that was sarcasm. Consider now, now get this: Who, being innocent, has ever perished? were the truly upright ever destroyed. And that is the first message of comfort. And then his second comforter, a guy named um, Bildad, and this is in Job chapter 8, verse 5. But if you will look to God and plead with the Almighty, 
If you really are pure and upright, I added the word really, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your rightful place. <laughs> what did he just say? He said, repent, you wicked man. So he said, repent, you wicked man. Turn back to God and he'll restore all your stuff. And then you get the third friend, and this is an 11. You get the third friend, Zophar. Interestingly enough, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew name Zophar is the word for nail. And Zophar puts in the final nail, chapter 11, beginning in verse 13. Yet he said to Job, if you devote your heart to God, meaning turn back to God and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that's in your hand and, no, and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, he's saying, Job, you, you, we never really knew you. You're an evil man. Then you will lift up your face without shame and you will stand firm without fear and all that nonsense. Okay. Each of these guys believed, here's what they believed, that if you were wealthy, and prosperous, and healthy, and had a lot of stuff. Now, that was a sign of God's favor. And so there was one time when Job was in God's favor. But if you were poor and sickly, like Job was at this particular time, that was a sign of God's disfavor. Wealth, God's favor. Poor, just making it God's disfavor. That's how people thought until Jesus came. And the book of Job is in the Bible to tell us that's not so, because very righteous people like Job suffer. Job was a truly righteous man because he trusted the true God and still lost everything. The point being, people had this misunderstanding of what real blessing was up until the time of Jesus. They saw blessings as material wealth, blessings as money, no financial concerns, able to do what you want when you want afford anything, good health, things go your way. And that crazy, like I said, that crazy notion of blessings uh, carried over into the New Testament. Then Jesus Christ comes on the scene, see? He could make sick people well, and like the doctors, he could speak to demons. Then they listened, then obeyed. And so when he went to teach the people, he comes to this outdoor amphitheater in the cove of a mountain, and this is called his Sermon on the Mount. And the first part of his Sermon on the Mount is these things, what we are, are, are these sayings that we call Beatitudes. And so in five Verse 1 of Matthew. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up in a mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him, meaning all of his followers, not just the twelve, and he began to teach them, and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. Now get that. Blessed. That's what he called a blessing. I mean, he was blowing these people away. He said, blessed are the broken in spirit. Blessed are, blessed are you and your persecutor for my name's sake. And then you go on a little bit in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Everybody's thinking blessed is, you know, all this material wealth. In Matthew 6, 19, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. He says, don't do that. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves come in and break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's eternal perspective. Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus just said what you treasure on earth passes away eventually, but eternal treasures never, ever pass away. Eternal treasures never pass away. The rest do. Eternal treasures never pass away. Folks, the deal is this. God doesn't think like us. He wants us to start thinking like him, seeing blessings the way he sees them and thinking with eternal perspective. So let's look at some of these beatitudes, okay, and see if we're really blessed. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Your spirit is your inner you, your body, your eyes, your ears, your hands, and everything all does what they do because of what's inside you. When you are poor, now get this, in spirit, in spirit, that means you're spiritually bankrupt. 
We understand we don't have one good thing to offer the Father in heaven, that he should take us to heaven. We are essentially not good, contrary to popular opinion. We are bankrupt. That's what it's saying. Can you see how you how just changed the thinking of these people? We are bankrupt of personal goodness, see? And when you understand that, when you understand that you're bankrupt of personal goodness, that makes you what? That makes you desperate. I mean, I love the song, Breathe, I'm Desperate for You. Now, why are we so blessed when we come to the Father spiritually bankrupt, emptied of self, and desperate for grace? And that's verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5, because people like that, there's Jesus says, is the kingdom of heaven. You're going to heaven, folks. You're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to be with them forever and ever. Amen. Now, here's someone who's full of um, who's full of self, and they're certain that God has scales of justice. And on these scales of justice, you know, God's going to weigh the good things you do against the bad things you do. And they're absolutely certain they're going to heaven. And what Jesus just said makes no sense to them. I mean, they never looked at truth. And folks, they're going to hell. And they don't even know it forever. They're going to eternal torment. And nobody likes to hear that, do we? We don't like to talk about stuff like that. But a believer who is poor in spirit is going to the Father through his son, Jesus Christ, and he's saying, I have nothing to offer you. You save me. I can't save myself. And so in the long run, you've got to ask yourself, who's blessed? Who's blessed? And then he goes on to say in verse 5, look at this, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I mean, that makes no sense to a lot of people. How can you be blessed when you mourn? You're blessed when you're happy. You're blessed when you're laughing and smiling and things are cool. That's what Elevaz, Bildad, and Zophar the Nail thought. I need to use myself as an example because I'll go through periods of my life when it's all about me, especially at home. I'm insensitive. You know, everybody notice my moods, but I don't have to notice anybody else's. Do it when I have time, fit into my schedule. And thank God I'm a believer because the Holy Spirit will take me at times like that and he will just kind of knife me. Now, the Holy Spirit is very gentle. He'll dig that knife in me and he'll do it very gently and very kindly, but the Holy Spirit will still knife me. The Holy Spirit will say to me, it is really great to meet the most important man in the world. I used to think it was Jesus Christ, but man, am I fortunate now I know it's you. And you know what? You know I say it's from the Spirit? Because I think thoughts like that. And, and, and then you mourn. See, that's what you do. You mourn. When the spirit begins to dig a little bit, you begin to mourn. And that, mean, that means you, 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 you grieve over what you become. I mean, I can remember times when I didn't want to pray because I didn't feel worthy. I can remember tears forming. I can remember asking the father to do whatever he had to do to change me, even if it hurt. And this isn't boasting because that's any true believer. That's any true believer. That's a lot of you folks, I mean. And you will be comforted with Jesus' comfort. He says in verse 4, you are blessed. You are blessed if you mourn, he says. You know, aren't we blessed? And then he goes on in verse 5, and he says, blessed are the meek. I mean, you're blessed if you're blessed are the meek. What's meekness? But the Bible's definition of meekness is it's power under control. You are blessed if you don't react in kind. I'm serious. I mean, you could yell louder, talk louder, Talk more and bowl people over with your words, but you choose to close your mouth. You could use your influence to get back at people, but you leave that to God. See, that is meekness. That's power under control. And what does Jesus say? He says, if you got that going for you, man, you are blessed. And then he says, look at this. Look at this. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And that's verse five. They will inherit the earth. I mean, what's that mean? That, that, that looks to eternity again. That looks to the renewed earth 
in the eternal kingdom of God. That's part of our reward. The word of God says in eternity, we're going to reign over the whole creation, including the renewed earth. The meek will reign with Christ, and that will be their inheritance. Verse 6, this is a great one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's say you have a parched soul. Your appetites are for the things of God, not for stuff. Your heart's desire is, in this life, to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And you get upset when you sin. You get upset with yourself. You get upset with yourself. And your goals or desires or hungers or thirst are not for more and better. And so what this beatitude is talking about, man, this really flies in the face of the world today, I'll tell you. It's talking about what satisfies you. More and better does not satisfy you. And you've got to see this in Psalm 17. And when I read this, I've got to tell you, I didn't write this. I have to make that point. God wrote this in Psalm 17, and this is verse 14. God put this in here for a reason. This is a prayer of David. That's what Psalm 17 is. And David says in verse 14, O Lord, by your hand, save me. Now you got to ask the question, from what? Listen to this. O Lord, by your hand, save me. From what? Psalm 17, 14. From such men, now get this, from such men, from men of this world, whose reward is in this life. See, David wants deliverance. I mean, God wrote this. He wants deliverance from such thinking and such living. David wants to be saved from or delivered from people whose desires are only for this, what, what this world has to offer. I mean, listen to what really satisfies. This is Psalm 17, verse 15. And I, in righteousness, I will see your face when I awake. I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness, folks. There is no ultimate satisfaction this side of the grave. And David says, deliver me from those people who want it all here and now, whose focus is all on this world. I mean, listen, folks, this is the heart of a true believer. You are truly blessed if you hunger and thirst. For what? For righteousness. You are truly best blessed if only Jesus Christ himself can fill the voids in your life. Apart from that, there's no lasting blessing. He goes on to say in verse 7, blessed are the merciful. I think of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan was merciful. You got this holy man, this priest who passes by on the other side. Doesn't even notice the guy laying there in blood and the Good Samaritan stops. And Jesus says, man, that man is blessed. When you feel compassion for suffering people, what does Jesus say? You are blessed. I mean, if you could actually feel pity for some people and come out of yourself and help you help those people, that's a real blessing. He goes on to say, blessed are the pure in heart. That's Matthew 5, 8. Real blessing is when your heart is pure because you've chosen not to feed your senses on books, movies, and TV and music that would corrupt your heart. You're blessed if you can avoid that stuff. That's a blessing. I mean, he says that stuff is more than external that affects the heart. That's why I said, blessed are those who are pure in heart. And a pure heart, listen, folks, a pure heart is a blessing of blessings. Jesus said that. Do you have a pure heart? Or are you working on a pure heart? Jesus calls you blessed. I mean, did you, you, are you beginning to see what real blessing is? Blessed are the pure in heart. I'll, I'll go through one more of these beatitudes. Look at verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you. Blessed are you when people insult you. Blessed. Blessed are you when people persecute you and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Know what that's saying? If you have convictions about Jesus Christ and the truth of his word and you're willing to represent, to flesh out, to defend these, regardless of the price you have to pay, if you are willing to lose a job because of your convictions, if you are willing to um, not get into a particular college which demands political correctness or lose a boyfriend or a girlfriend because you stand on the Bible's principle that sex before marriage is wrong, you're blessed. 
or when the relatives get together, your brothers and sisters, nieces and nephews, and you don't back down for the sake of harmony, for the sake of getting along with them. You don't back down on your biblical conviction that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And if you're willing to die because you believe this, says Jesus Christ, you are blessed. And you are in the very good company of the prophets, he said, Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Hosea, Micah, and John the Baptist. And so people were blessed. I hope you see that. Leadership books talk a lot about the big picture. Leaders see where something is going. They don't see just the narrow, confined little picture. And folks, we need to see the big picture of our lives. We need to have eternal perspective. We need to see our lives with eternity in view. And that's sometimes very difficult because there's so much immediate stuff we have to deal with. I mean, you got to think about the whole timeline of your life. I was born in 1940. And from 1940 on, the timeline of my life continues, 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 continues. And where does it end? Does death end? It's certainly not. I mean, the timeline of my life goes on and on and on and on, forever and ever and ever. And this, this how many years on this earth is such a small, infinitesimal speck. It's a pencil dot. You've got to think of it like that. It's nothing but a pencil dot, this life now, on the timeline of your whole life. But you see, it's in this pencil dot that we make the decision to accept Jesus Christ or to reject Jesus Christ. And it's in this pencil dot on the timeline of our existence that we determine where we're going to spend forever. Now, if you believe this word of God, you are so blessed. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. Paul writes, inspired by God, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Let me say that again. Beginning in verse 7, 2 Thessalonians 1. This will happen... When the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, verse 8, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. And on the, on the day he comes to be glorified in or among his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. And what he just said is this. People will spend eternity either shut out and separated from God, suffering forever, or they will spend eternity marveling at him forever. It's either suffering or it's marveling. And when you think about it like that, you're blessed if you believe that, because then, then you'll understand that real blessing in this life, real blessing is being broken in spirit, mourning our sins, hungering for righteousness, being able to show mercy, having a pure heart, being a peacemaker, and suffering for righteousness' sake. These are the greatest blessings ever when you have eternal perspective. Eternal perspective makes you think differently in lots of areas of your life. It makes us think totally differently about material things, okay? And people, the Psalms, the Psalms are replete with this. The Father delights to bless us. The Father rejoices to give us good things. You can't read five Psalms without that theme coming through. And it's not bad to have material things. That's not wrong. But here's the big deal about it. So many people who confess Jesus Christ as their Savior live as if we have to have it all right now, as if we're not really sure about God's promises. So we're not really sure about the resurrection, all those promises of God. So get it all right now, just in case. And how many people live like that? And you know what you're doing? You're calling God a liar. You are. You're calling God a liar. 
You're not, you, you, you said, I don't believe your promises. And then you got to ask yourself, what kind of a message does that send to the unsaved world? And then I look at Philippians chapter 3, and Paul says this in verse 4. He says, if anyone else, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now listen, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. The tribe, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, an elite tribe, the Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless, faultless. And it all comes down to verse 8. You know what Paul was saying? He said, that consumed me, position, prestige, power. But when I came to know Jesus Christ, I'm going to read verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. And see when I understand that, when I understand that word of God and say, that's for me, that's not only for people then, that is for you and me today. It's not wrong to have material things, but my whole focus changes because then I want to use what God gives me. I want to use it to effect eternity, stuff that lasts as much as possible. I want to use the resources that God gives me to affect eternity. And that perspective, when you have that perspective on life, man, on material things, that makes us regard being poor in spirit and hungering and thirsting for righteousness and being willing to die for him and being merciful and being a peacemaker, the greatest of all blessings. And when we have eternal perspective, that changes the way we see people too. Here's the second thing eternal perspective does. It changes the way you see people. You all have people in your life that have yet to commit to Jesus Christ. You play golf with them. They're your friends. You enjoy their company. You enjoy being with them. I mean, could be your, it could be your sister or girlfriend who listens to you, and they take time for you, and you care about those people. But if they don't have Christ, it troubles you. And folks, it should trouble you. That should trouble you. Because, I mean, you're thinking about, I mean, it really, you really should start thinking about their eternity. Where are they going to spend forever? I mean, 2 Thessalonians 1 should come to your mind. They're either going to suffer forever or they're going to marvel at Jesus Christ forever. One of the two. And then you begin to look for every opportunity to tell them what Jesus Christ means to you and how he changed your personal life, see? And, and, and when you've got that eternal perspective about people, people take on an eternal dimension. That's how you're going to evaluate your relationship. I mean, everything is going to change. I mean, bringing that person closer to the cross of Jesus Christ is going to be a matter of your heart. That's going to be a heart matter. I mean, you're concerned about their eternal life. And when you do, when you are able, by God's grace, to bring that person closer to Jesus Christ or, or, or lead that person across the line from eternal death to eternal life, I'll tell you about that. That's going to be the greatest high you could ever experience this side of heaven. Here's the way, third way that eternal perspective changes us. It changes how you see your circumstances. Jesus' disciple Peter, remember, that denied him. He denied him and says, I never saw the guy in my life. He lied. And why did he do that? Because he was afraid to die. Now, years later, listen to what Peter wrote. This is Peter who denied him. And this is Peter who was afraid to die. And listen to what he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trouble. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. Even though you may, in this, that you had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come, get this, so that your faith of greater worth than gold, 
which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And then I jump down to verse 9. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And what Peter is saying here is, well, he matured in faith. Man, that is growth. And what he's saying is this. He saw trials as refining him, part of the process of making him like Jesus Christ, but leading him to glory in inexpressible joy. What I'm saying is this. He saw his circumstances with eternal perspective. Trials were part of God's training and refining program, but what it all led to was fantastic. I mean, he, could, he, he, he regarded these things as blessings. And so we're blessed. We're really blessed. Today we've seen Job's comforters. They had this skewed concept of God, that wealth was a sign of his favor, and struggling to make ends meet and ill health and all that bad stuff was evidence of his disfavor. And Jesus Christ came along and he blew that thinking away when he said, blessed are the broken in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, those who are persecuted and willing to die for him, the merciful. We looked at how eternal perspective makes us think differently about material things, about people and trials, and we can count them as blessings. And I just pray that this Word of God has blessed you in some way. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.